Hello, and welcome to the Blockade Runner Podcast. My name is John, and with me today is Ryan. Good morning. And uh, we are here to celebrate the home video release of The Last Jedi, um, which is a really, yeah, hands in the air and all that stuff, uh, <laughs> which is like a really, uh, really great home video release for a Star Wars movie, I think. And yeah, just, I just I just got my VHS copy. <laughs> the I, the way actually, it was meant to be watched. I actually have seen, I'm sure you've probably come across some uh, some great uh, VHS mock-ups, mm-hmm. um, fake boxes and stuff. Um, and I feel like 2018, I'm surprised almost, you know, with all the cassette tape releases we're getting and uh-huh. stuff like that. Like, like, let's do it. I've got a VCR uh, hooked up still. And yep. I would... Uh, so, sell me that Last Jedi VHS at Urban Outfitters for $43. <laughs> like, let's do this. I think you're joking, but then I think we also both know that, like, for sure, the That's, money would be spent. I would totally buy it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if it was, like, pan and scan and it had, like, a cheesy uh, intro and stuff, uh, like, not intro, but, you know, like a like a coming features coming attractions like real dot anyway that that would be cool um i wouldn't i don't think 43 dollars would quite be right but uh probably would cost that much um yeah and you'd buy it i yes that that's the that's the point i'm trying to get across here i would buy it but mm-hmm. uh um actually there's great precedent for that because i bought the digital <laughs> version of the last jedi two weeks ago so i could watch all this stuff um without waiting until the home video release the actual physical release uh, so I, I am part of the problem, um, and uh, yeah, that's where I'm at, double dipping on on the Last Jedi. But there is a ton of stuff, and I couldn't wait to watch it. Um, and uh, so we're going to talk about a bunch of that stuff this morning. Um, and uh, I think we're going to talk about basically three different uh, parts of the uh, the the release, uh, or you know, primarily the director and the Jedi documentary. Um, the deleted scenes, and then I've got a couple thoughts from the commentary too. I don't think you've had a chance to watch the commentary. I have not. Movie. Yeah, so maybe we'll just talk about that for a minute or two. Um, but let's jump in by uh, talking about the director and the Jedi, which is this um, ninety-minute or so or uh, so full-length documentary um, about the making of the movie. Uh, I loved it. What What did you think of it? Yeah, like uh, it's really impressive um for a bonus feature um i think especially compared to the uh somewhat anemic somewhat fluffy uh bonus features we got with force awakens and uh rogue one which are good like i i enjoy that stuff but um this is this is a full hour and a half long documentary and it's not really just a promo piece for the movie that you just bought <laughs> um there like i was uh texting you when i was watching it yesterday like there are definitely parts in this documentary that make me like that kind of stress me out and make me a bit uncomfortable. And I think, you know, I think that stuff is very core to the experience that Ryan Johnson had making uh, this movie. Um, And I'm glad they didn't hold back on that. Yeah, I think they, you know, I think maybe they felt comfortable not holding back just because of, um, 
how well it turned out in the end in terms of the production and all that stuff. Like the, the documentary opens up with Kathleen Kennedy uh, on stage at the last Jedi rap party with Ryan Johnson and, and Ron Bergman. And she's like, I have like basically never had an experience like I had making this movie. These guys are incredible. She's talking to the crew and saying, you're like lucky that you had these guys leading you. Um, they did an amazing job making the movie. So uh, I think had she not felt that way and had that not been like the, the kind of way <laughs> production went, mm-hmm. um, yeah, maybe they wouldn't have been as comfortable kind of letting us in and seeing some of that stuff. But uh, but I think it did go so well. And, and uh, Lucasfilm just love, I mean, they obviously they love Ryan Johnson and Ron Bergman so much that they're like, hey, do whatever you want. And, and Star Wars basically at this point, I think is how we uh, wound up with this Ryan Johnson trilogy we're getting. So, um, so I think that's a big part of it, but yeah, um, I, I was like, before we get into the, to the kind of details of it, just to talk about what it is a little more, um, I'm totally in agreement with you. Like, I love the fact that it does not feel like an electronic press kit. It doesn't feel like a promo piece. Um, and, uh, you know, that like that documentary or whatever you want to call it, uh, that's the featured, um, kind of bonus feature on the force awakens Blu-ray. It's not bad. And it, it is like. Uh, relative like it's pretty long i think it's like 45 minutes or an hour long maybe no maybe it's over an hour uh it's just that it doesn't have the kind of access that this documentary the director and the jedi has um and it's it's not the same style and that's what you know a big part of what makes me so happy about this one um this is there's no narration there's no sort of like chapters or anything like that it's just like we're gonna have a crew follow these guys around while they make the movie and then that's what it is. So that's that's my favorite style of, of documentary, I think. And especially for something like this, where it's like, as fans, we just want to see the process. And and there's mm-hmm. moments in here, like to be there when Mark and, and Kathleen Kennedy and Ryan Johnson and Daisy are like in the production office, you know, weeks or months before the movie is shooting. And they're just all sitting around on a couch, like going over lines and stuff. Mm-hmm. I love to be able to see those kinds of things. And that's so much better than just like, well, we, we brought all these guys in on a day, uh, you know, and we, we set up our, our lighting and we have our backdrop and you know what I mean? Like there's yeah. a little, there's a little like text feature at the bottom. Like I'll put on this video of this podcast, you know, like it's just, it's so much more um, special to be able to go behind the scenes and kind of see like fly on the wall, cinema, Verite, whatever, you know, kind of thing. So uh, yeah, I, lo- I love that. And some of like, even some of the shots in the in the documentary do feel like very fly on the wall, where it's not like, okay, let's get everyone in frame and now talk about how you're shooting this movie. Like it's very much like, like it's like people almost forgot that there were there was someone with a camera there because there's like so many cameras. There's so much going on. Obviously you can tell from this documentary, uh, the people involved have a lot on their minds. Um, (laughs) but there's like, there's shots that, um, there's one shot in particular where, um, they're filming, uh, Ryan Johnson getting the news that, um, George Lucas wants a meeting with him. And in that shot, like half the shot, like, Ryan Johnson's blocked out because someone's like <laughs> standing in the way <laughs> and like, and that's just like what it is. And, and I love that. Like, I love that that's in there and they're not like, Oh, sorry, Ryan, I was shooting this and you know, someone stepped in front of you. So let's just do it again. Pretend you're getting that, uh, 
that notice from George Lucas again, and we'll just like run this through again. Like, it's not that. It's like this very authentic experience. Yeah, luckily they didn't have a reality TV crew do this because in that case it would have been, uh, they would have just, yeah, recreated it. You know what I mean? Let's do mm-hmm. another take on this supposedly real moment or whatever. Yeah. So, um, you know who, who never forgot the camera was there? is uh, Anthony Daniels because <laughs> there's that one moment <laughs> where he's going to tell Ryan Johnson something. Like, are, you like, Wait a minute, are we mic'd up? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We so can't, good. we can't talk about this Coke deal like while we're both mic'd up. So let's hold on a second. But uh, no, that was inappropriate. I'm sure it was just a lovely little intimate moment between the two of them. But, uh, but yeah, he was, uh, he was aware that, uh, that the camera was there. So, but no, exactly. You're hundred percent right. Like that's the feeling you get from the movie, which is great is that it just is. Uh, and I think the, the camera crew must've been uh, pretty much omnipresent, you know, they were probably always there. And so um, with them always being there, um, you know, the, the, the filmmakers and actors and everybody will just get used to that and then sort of forget about it, uh, for the most part, um, I would think and hope. Um, and, uh, it's just, yeah, it's great. Um, that, 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 that George Lucas thing is one of my disappointments with it though. It's like, oh my God, I want to know, like, can we also see the footage of him like walking out of that phone call? <laughs> you know, I mean, like, but not necessarily like, do I need to see or what, it, what I think would be appropriate to like, you know, record him being on the phone talking to George Lucas. But like, I want to, I want some follow up on that. Like, how, what, how did that conversation go? You know, maybe that'll um, be the sequel. Maybe, maybe the director and the Jedi and George. Yeah, well, I, you know, and I, I, we could talk about this at the end of the discussion about the documentary, but you know, I might forget. So I'll just say like. Uh, if I do have a disappointment, uh, like a legitimate disappointment with this um, documentary, though, it's probably the fact that it doesn't feature any footage of the post-production process. Um, mm. And that could have been really interesting, especially like coming back from the Christmas holiday after they got done shooting and, uh, you know, Carrie um, having passed and like the whole conversation about what do we do in this situation? You know, maybe that would have been too much to kind of to show that. Maybe that would have been not tasteful yeah. or, you know. But, but okay, not even that, but just like putting the movie together, making decisions about what do we cut and what do we keep and just, you know, mm-hmm. how the movie's being shaped. Um, Ryan and, and uh, I know Kathleen Kennedy and Daisy and other people were at the soundstage when they were, you know, recording the soundtrack and things like that. All that stuff I would love to have seen in there, mm-hmm. um, you know, for so for another 15 minutes or something just of, of post-production footage and things like that, I think. Um, could have been really cool too. So, um, but I, I did kind of go through and sort of point out three sort of like major topics that, uh, I thought we could talk about real quick here uh-huh. with, uh, the direction of the Jedi. And, uh, the first one that I, uh, kind of picked out here is, um, I would say if, if there's any major conflict or a kind of, um, source of tension in the documentary, I think it's Mark Hamill's resistance to <laughs> Ryan Johnson's <laughs> vision, uh, for Luke Skywalker. And uh, that's, you know, like, as you pointed out, there's some tension there. There's some anxiety and uh, it's a little stressful to kind of see this um, going on. So um, I thought that was one of the uh, one of the one of the kind of major uh, narrative points of of the documentary. Uh, And, you know, it's very revealing, I think. And um, we we opened up by talking about being surprised at uh, how much they were willing to kind of um show things that weren't necessarily positive in this documentary and and i'm really surprised how much time um they gave to this issue in this documentary especially in light of 
the whole not my Luke Skywalker, you know, thing and like just mm-hmm. the way people have reacted. Um, I think it's it's pretty cool though that they were that they were willing to kind of just let this be and leave it as it is and stuff like that. Um, there's a ton of stuff that uh, is in here in relation to that, so I don't know that we necessarily need to go through and talk about all of these little bullet points I, I uh, pointed out here. But um, the first one is like we've heard Mark Hamill say this kind of stuff like repeatedly in the uh, post Last Jedi um, kind of press tour and stuff, or even the pre Last Jedi press uh, press tour. But um, there's a there's a moment where Mark Hamill says, you know, I told Ryan I just fundamentally disagree with your concept of this character and how you use him. Um, and then <laughs> that's coupled with, uh, or shortly after that, um, there's a moment where Ron Bergman is saying to Ryan Johnson, like things are going well and, and everything's gonna be great as long as everyone's in sync about what the movie needs to be. And then the, the, well, like uh, Ron Bergman saying that over like a close up shot on Mark's face, like it's like B roll or whatever, like not in that he's not in the room when, when Ron is saying this, but, uh, he just has this like really kind of frustrated look on his face and, um, yeah, it's pretty clear what what they're talking about there, and, and it seems like during the production of the movie, like even during shooting and stuff, um, there was some concern about just like Mark is not on board with what Ryan wants to do um, with uh, with Luke Skywalker, and I think there's a bunch of moments where I'm looking at Mark and this behind the foot uh, behind the scenes footage and thinking like he does not look happy. He yeah. looks really, <laughs> which is a weird way to see Mark Hamill. You know what I mean? Because that's not usually how he. <laughs> presents himself or looks or seems like he feels you know yeah but there's also like i do feel like there's kind of an evolution to like his feelings that you can like see happening throughout like days of shooting um you know i think like first of all like he's a super like affable guy on set and um you know the way he like interacts with like the casting crew and stuff is really endearing um but yeah like you have um you have mark you know kind of saying the stuff that you know like a lot of the last jedi criticism um is with you know just you know this is not what should have happened to Luke Skywalker. Why is he in this place? Like, why is he in this headspace? Like, that's, you know, again, the not my Luke Skywalker. But then, like, Mark also, <laughs> like, has, um, you know, the um, humility to also say, like, a point that I think is severely missed in the... Um, you know, in some of the the criticism that, you know, it's not my Luke Skywalker. Like, this character, and, like, if Mark Hamill is saying this character doesn't belong to me, like, I think, you know, I think that's a valuable piece of insight for fans. Um, you know, be like, because he, you know, he's like, if this is in service to the story, then... Um, you know, then I'm just gonna, I I have to, I have to trust Ryan on this. Um, but like, you do see like how he does go from looking pretty grumpy and not just like in character grumpy Luke, like, like, you know, you can, you can, you can read frustration on someone's face, especially when you're doing really hard work. That's really intense work and you don't, 
necessarily believe in it. Um, I think that that's probably um, not a great feeling. Uh, but by by the end, um, you know, there's, um, you know, the scene, I think like for me, there's like, there's two scenes that um, kind of, you know, give me the vibe that he's, he. that's when he started coming around. Um, there's this, the scene with um, Frank Oz um, when they're setting up the Yoda puppet and like Mark is just like, he's just feeling so many things and uh, just very like, you know, never, never thought he'd see that again and experience that again. Um, and then the scene, I see you have it like marked in the notes, but um, the scene with uh, R2-D2 where he, uh, where he puts his hand on R2 and then um, has, a, has a moment to himself. Yeah, it's from the flashback when he's watching the temple burn and stuff. And like mm -hmm. he, he's got this very intense look on his face and there's tears streaming down his face and all that stuff like in the shot. Um, but then Ryan calls, uh, you know, cut. And then he just like buries his head like he like leans down on the ground almost. You know what I mean? Uh, and the cameras are not rolling anymore. And, and the, the scene is over. The shot's over. And then like Ryan has to come, like, come over. Or I don't know. He has to. But Ryan comes over to him and like puts his hand on his back. And like you can see it's a real moment where he's feeling like a ton of stuff. Like and I don't know if that's just him being an actor and like, you know, getting his head into that space where he can, you know, look that way and feel that way. And it's just like the leftovers from that or if it's something, you know, kind of more going on there. But um, it definitely seems like an emotional thing for him, for mm -hmm. sure, uh, as it, you know, it would be. Um, and, uh, you know, there's his last day on set or whatever. Like, he's like, you know, they call kind of sort of like it's a wrap for Mark Hamill. And he's telling everybody as he's like on the way out, like, no, no, I'll be back tomorrow. Like, I'm coming back tomorrow. I, I have watched the documentary twice now and I'm not sure. Like, is he telling the truth or is that just like his way of saying, like, I don't want to say goodbye. So mm -hmm. I'll just say that I'm going to be back tomorrow, even though like I'm, I'm done. You know what I mean? So I think he probably was really going to be back tomorrow, which is why he was saying that. But it, it almost... It, it just felt like a moment where it's like he didn't really want to be done. You know what I mean? And I mm -hmm. think that's part of his conflict, obviously with uh, what happens with Luke and in, in the last Jedi is like, why does he have to die? You know, like I wanted to be in this movie more. I wanted to be in the next movie too. Um, there's a moment where Ron Bergman says it's heavy on him. He thought he was going to be Luke Skywalker of this trilogy. It's the realization that he's not Luke. He's Obi. Um, mm -hmm. And it seems like that, you know, according to Ron Bergman anyway, it's like, you know, he probably wanted to have that more heroic role in a more traditional sense like he wanted to be you know it, i'm sure it was great it, from 1977 to 1983 to be luke skywalker to be that character you know to be that heroic focal point and all that stuff and like um to to know you're going to come back and be luke skywalker again but you don't get to be that and you don't get to feel that way and you don't get to you know what i mean um i think yeah. like there's there's probably a certain amount of disappointment there um and and ryan johnson's script i mean it's almost like happened to him twice you know because with force awakens it's like oh i'm gonna be like skywalker again well never mind you're just like a little <laughs> you're an easter egg at the end of the movie you know what i mean yeah. so we're using you that way but it, you know i'm sure in his mind uh part of it there was like well at least in eight you know they've they've set it all up now i get to come back and be luke and then it's like well not really the kind of luke that you thought you were going to be and also we're going to kill you at the end of this movie you know what i mean yeah. it's sort of I, but i take. still like it God, we don't need to get into this now, but um, I still think like 
the end of um the last jedi is luke skywalker at his very most heroic oh yeah like i think it is like the ultimate (laughs) um luke skywalker heroic moments um so i think you know i think you you do get that if you're willing to accept it but if you you know just completely shut off and are just stubbornly refusing what uh the what less jedi's uh feeding you then like you're you're not going to uh you're not going to get that but I yeah, I certainly agree with that. Um, absolutely, uh, I, I love uh, Luke in this movie, and I love I love that whole thing. Um, quickly though, just to wrap up this conversation about Mark and his kind of resistance mm-hmm. to the the vision of the movie. Um, I, I, another thing that's great about this documentary is that, and this is surprising to me, um, and I think it really goes a long way to proving not that it really should need to be proved, but you know, people don't trust Mark Hamill's like comments on this now they think that he's like well disney yelled at him and is telling him he has to like you know play nice about um ryan johnson and about the last jedi because really he thinks it's bad and he doesn't like luke skywalker in the movie and all that blah 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 you know mm-hmm. um because there were some comments that sort of out of context that went around the internet and then you know mark came online and was like hey no 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 i, I you know i came around like i'm, I'm into mm-hmm. it like i trust ryan johnson, all that stuff people don't believe that but like the way that the story is is presented in this documentary on the official, you know, home release of The Last Jedi is basically at the end, Mark is like, I still don't really get it. And there's this quote from Ryan Johnson where he's like, I don't think he ever got to the point where he's like, okay, I understand why Luke has to go in the end, but he was completely devoted to making it the best it could be. And Ryan Johnson goes on to say, I'll always be dazzled by the fact that he had the generosity of spirit to do that. And I'll always owe him. I don't take that lightly. And there's another comment in there from Mark too, where he's like, you know, basically, or, or maybe it's Ryan, but somebody says like he was completely devoted to making it the best it could be, even though he really didn't like it, it, it. He didn't really love it. You know what I mean? Like he didn't love the way it was going. So I guess my point is like, you don't have comments from anybody at the end of this documentary where Mark, where Mark's like, I was wrong. It's actually really perfect. Like it's, 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 it's what I think it should be now. He never says that. He just kind of says like, I trust Ryan. I'm in Ryan's camp. And and I think it's actually like in the context of the director and the Jedi, it's like a really nice kind of ending because I think the behind the scenes footage we see in this documentary focuses on the fact that like Mark and Ryan trust each other and they really respect each other. And so for Mark, he's like, I'm going to do the best that I can do and I'm going to bring your vision to life. He says, you, you mentioned it earlier, but he says, I don't own this character of Luke Skywalker. They just rent him out to me. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to do whatever I need to do to, you know, to realize this vision. Um, but I think the more like, like curated PR spin on this would be like, well, Mark realized in the end it was really perfect and he loves it, but he, he never really says that. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the documentary, I don't think tries to present it that way ever. Um, I think if Mark had his druthers, he still would prefer to see a different kind of Luke Skywalker on screen. But, um, but you know, that being said, he, he just really, um, wanted to, to make it the best it could be because he knew he wasn't the one calling that shot. Yeah. And also like there is, there is absolutely no chance that anyone, even Disney could tell Mark Hamill what to say. Like, (laughs) Like that dude, he he does not care. 
he will say what he's uh what he's well, he, he's got a, he's got a great line about that uh what are they gonna do fire me i think you know i've heard him say yeah. that a couple times like yeah <laughs> i'm luke skywalker deal with it you know um <laughs> not that he's like a particularly contentious person or anything but yeah i don't i don't think he's um i don't think he's a sheep that disney can just you know like <laughs> tell him what to do and yeah exactly so um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely some real insight from this documentary on that and that whole relationship. Um, you know, as you mentioned earlier, too, we do see uh, quite a bit of um, pressure on Ryan Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the George Lucas call. Uh, I think one of the best moments in the documentary is the moment where um, he's talking to Ram uh, Bergman and he's like talking about having to rewrite the opening and how it, and he's like he, he started thinking about it and he got all like freaked out. Um, yeah. And it's just like a little bit of a taste of like the pressure of what it must have been like to uh to know that like oh, okay i'm writing star wars i'm making these bold decisions and like what if they don't work you know um which i i would feel like you know i'm not a filmmaker obviously but i, I would feel like i would feel that way constantly <laughs> while making a star wars movie like even after like a day of shooting like oh my god what if this isn't good you know what i mean <laughs> like what <Yeah>. if I, <laughs> what if i get done making this movie and go back to the editing room and try to like put it together and it's like not good like I'm the dude who just made a bad Star Wars movie. <laughs> I mean, that would be so stressful. Yeah, and I think what's like so interesting um, about Ryan Johnson and like you know I I feel like as you know as in the case of making any film, um, there's a lot of people involved, but um, especially a film like this. There are a lot of people involved. There's a lot of people who have been working on this franchise. Um, many people from like the prequel era and even some people from the original trilogy era who have been like, who know Star, Star Wars. <laughs> and, um, and, you know, it's so fascinating to me that, you know, when ryan experiences pushback on things um you know whether it be um you know building a sea cow or (laughs) and having to helicopter it in um and stuff like that where you know people other people you know experienced professionals the best in the business like when they feel that a decision he's making um isn't like the most efficient or you know um or isn't going to look the best or whatever um you know when he when he experiences that pushback like i think it would be super easy um for someone to like who's coming in from like a smaller film background um new to like star wars it would be really easy for them to like you know back down default to um you know these these more experienced professionals here um but he like really holds on to his vision um that he has you know despite um the challenges and everything like he stays very true to his vision which is very apparent in the in the finished product Mm -hmm. um and you know i think the movie is better for that in all of those different ways that add up um 
but like and but he just he does it with like such grace and um <laughs> you know he's not a like super controlling um like monster who's just like yelling at everyone and um that yeah yeah, well, there's a there's a there's a line from uh, John Boyega in here too, where he says like, "Oh my God, doing Star Wars is pressure. It's pressure." And I never once saw him get like, um, I forget the term he uses, but basically, like, I never saw him it, rude. He says, "I never saw him be rude to somebody. I never saw him do any of those things that you might expect a person would do under all that pressure." You know, so uh, there's that. There's also the fantastic uh, Carrie Fisher line <laughs> where they ask him about him, and and she says uh, he's an asshole, <laughs> and then, <laughs> she's obviously joking, and then she. He says that he uh, he he when you first meet him he doesn't have a dominating affect but he has a dominating vision um, and then I, I I've seen this before but she goes on to say he has flaws in other areas I just don't know about them um, so <laughs> it's one of those things where it's like yeah you never it just everybody seems to respect him so much and also kind of uh, talk about what a kind uh, person he is and what a good person he is and all that kind of thing too um, and uh, you know I mean we I. I wasn't there, unfortunately. That's a whole another story. But uh, you know, I think you see that in uh, in 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 what he did at Star Wars Celebration. You know, he came out and like spent a, I think five or six hours just walking through the convention hall that night when people were lined up to go to the Last Jedi panel and spoke to every single person that wanted to speak to him. Um, and that's you know, that's just like so kind and generous of him to do. And uh, I just think he seems like a really good. Uh, really good guy and um you know but the, i think the way you described it is is uh is i think what's ex- exactly right and really important is that it's like he, he's a he's a person who can handle this pressure with grace and he can handle it well while still sticking to his vision you know what i mean so it just seems like the perfect person to kind of be around is somebody who like has this vision he, he's gonna make something really unique and special um and at the same time like uh, you know, they, they, there are like moments in the documentary where Ron Bergman and, and other production heads and stuff seem to be concerned about like budget and, and you know, all the different sets they had to do and all that stuff. Um, there's a, I don't have it in the notes, but there's that crazy moment where uh, I think it's Neil Scanlon is saying that in terms of like the creatures and stuff or just like the, 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 what's the word, like physical uh, effects practical effects that this movie is bigger than force awakens and rogue one if you put them together it's more than that um so it was a ton um in terms of just like different sets and locations and uh, visual effects and all that stuff um and they were able to do it like basically on schedule um i don't know if they went over budget or whatever it doesn't really seem like they did um so you know it's your first time making a star wars movie you're able to you know end it with kathleen kennedy saying it's one of the best experiences she's ever had in her life um you're able to maintain your vision even while the lead actor mark hamill is like <laughs> i don't like what you're doing with my you know what i mean it's just like yeah. so much and in the end like they totally delivered and apparently did so in a way where he was always kind <laughs> it's just like wow you know what i mean um and, yeah i mean that's just like that's insane artistic vision that's super impressive but like it's also just really impressive like leadership mm-hmm. um that <laughs> could be applied to like a lot of different areas and i think like you know i think um that's probably what the heads at lucas saw in him that's like i think like what we're discussing now is probably what like kathleen kennedy saw 
when they decided to like green light his you know his trilogy yeah yeah so i mean basically ryan johnson for president 2020 is what we're saying here i think pretty much well maybe uh, 2024 like I, I we need to get this trilogy out yeah. first so like i don't want him doing anything that takes away from that because i want this trilogy so bad yeah totally all right well to uh let's like uh wrap up the discussion on the director and the jedi here um there's a couple other little moments so i feel like we have to talk about um one of the things that's great in the documentary is like there's just um footage of certain scenes in the movie um being acted and, and being filmed on set but uh you know obviously from the documentarian's uh camera so it's like a behind the scenes look at those scenes being filmed um and 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 the the directors and editors of this documentary hold on the uh hold a, a holdo leia goodbye kind of moment on set like you almost see the entire scene shot from mm -hmm. this behind the scenes perspective and there's just something about it that's really emotional and beautiful when like you can hear all the background noise. You can hear like the extras like walking through and stuff in a way that, you know, is all obviously like kind of curated and perfected in the final product. But mm -hmm. to, to just feel like you're there as they're acting, it's just more intimate, I guess, is what I'm trying to say here. And it's a great moment to see. Um, I think we both loved uh, that moment um, it, it, close to the very end from Carrie Fisher, where she's like, that was fun. I think it was my best work. Mm -hmm. Um and then the documentary is just kind of silent for just a moment after that, but it's yeah. a very uh, it's a very touching moment. Mm -hmm. um, did you? I think you added this comment from Ryan where he says that uh, it's almost like Ray and Kylo are two halves of the protagonist, and Kylo is the rage of adolescence. I did not add that. Oh, okay. I guess I did it. But anyway, <laughs> that's that's a great <laughs> quote as well. Um, Mark and Carrie behind the scenes. Uh, that's another one, just like the Holdo Leia goodbye, where a good chunk of that is shown from that behind the scenes perspective. Um, mm -hmm. And that's already such an intimate like scene in the movie um, between Mark and Carrie. But then to see that like from that perspective, I think is a, a is really a treat as well. Um, and uh, I think uh, Ryan Johnson, I don't know if it was in the commentary, it might have been in the commentary or in the in the documentary, but he said being on set that day was like being at church, like everybody was silent and totally respectful and just like there was this feeling in the air. So I think that's cool. Um, and like we brought up earlier to the, the stuff with um, Mark and Frank Oz being reunited, right? I, yeah. You did add this one, Ryan, because there's no bullet. Yeah, I did add this one <laughs> because um, I think... Yeah, I think it was Frank Oz who said this when he's like, you know, if it's going to be Luke and Yoda together, it had to be a puppet. And, um, you know, I'm I'm a huge fan of puppets, specifically puppet Yoda in in all contexts. And um, that that made me really happy. And I think Yoda looks so wonderful in this movie. Um, and yes, I agree. It, it did have to be a puppet. So, yeah, I think so too. I mean, the, the, the way he kind of presents that Frank Oz is like, Mark wouldn't have been able to do it with the digital version because like, that's not what he knew. Um, or, you know, I don't think he's like calling into question like Mark's ability to act. I think what he's doing is, is saying like what you want that scene to do what it's doing in in the movie is taking Luke back to the experience 
that yeah. he had on Dagobah. And so what you want for Mark is to bring him back to the experience of filming mm -hmm. those scenes previously. So if you try to change the way you do it by doing it with a digital you know, Yoda instead of a puppet Yoda, it's not going to work in the same way. Because um, yeah. I don't for a second doubt uh, Mark Hamill's ability to like... Yeah, he, he totally would have nailed it. Yeah. But there would have been like just a tiny, tiny bit missing. It would have lost something. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. That we wouldn't even have been able to like put our finger on, I think, like watching yeah. it. <laughs> Not in the same way that the original puppet from The Phantom Menace lost something, but still it would have lost something, you know? That's a good puppet. <laughs> <laughs> what? It's awful. <laughs> no. Okay. Um, all right. Well, mm. so the direction I, of the Jedi... Oh, I do have one more scene. Um, oh, okay. that okay. when we're like talking about these kind of like extended scenes being like caught on camera um, and like just seeing like the actors nail it um, the Ray and Kylo scene where he's you know re revealing her uh, her parents and you know you're nothing you know no yeah <laughs> like my god like Adam Driver is just so intense, like in in every capacity, and then like and just in her reactions, um, her reaction as well is just like so sincere and uh, wonderful. Which I mean, I guess that's acting, but like seeing it through the lens of you know being you know, 10 feet farther away and having all this other stuff in the, in the foreground, like seeing it in that um, setting is really, uh, really interesting. It's one thing about the last Jedi too. Um, the whole experience watching the movie, the behind the scenes stuff, uh, this documentary, everything. Um, I feel like there's not as much discussion of how incredible Daisy Ridley is. Um, mm -hmm. And I think that just makes sense because like, you can't do that every movie, just like, you know, the discussion always be, Oh my God, Daisy Ridley is so, is so fantastic. And force awakens introduced her both as an actress to the world and, you know, as a character. So obviously it just makes sense that that discussion is going to be there, but um, man, she's incredible. And I, I, I get that too from, from the director and the Jedi, like in some of these behind the scenes moments where you're seeing her filming. Um, and uh, you know, even like, uh, there's a moment towards the end where Ryan Johnson says something to her and she like, you know, starts to tear up or something. And he's like, well, we got to do one more, you know, but it's like him telling her how great she is. And then you hear Ron Bergman tell her too, like on her last day, you're incredible, unbelievable, and you should be really proud of your performance and all that stuff. And, and uh, you know, obviously I agree with that. And I think you can see like you like you just pointed out, you know, with her too, uh, with both of them, um, how great they are. But I kind of like to me, I... I I watch Kylo or Adam driver and I'm just like, Oh my God, he's so good. You know? And like nobody could have done this better than him. But yeah. whenever I see Daisy Ridley behind the scenes or, or just like some of Ray's moments in the movie, I'm just like, uh, it's hard to fathom that like, she's so perfect in the role and that she's so good. And just like yeah. Ray is so perfect. Daisy Ridley is so perfect. It's just, I don't know. Um, 
that that always gets me every time she's yeah she's something one one more thing on her um i love the part where she's um practicing with the lightsaber um on i believe it's the scene on octo where she slices the rock and there's like some cardboard boxes and yeah. she's like going through the sequence and she messes up at one point and is like oi <laughs> and it's, uh, it's just really wonderful <laughs> i don't think i caught that but yeah <laughs> there's some incentive to go back and watch uh for, watch this documentary for a third time i guess there you go so, yeah um uh, all right. Um, well, let's talk about the deleted scenes and uh, maybe a little bit about the commentary. I don't think we'll spend as long on either of these things as we did the uh, director and the Jedi. Um, but uh, we can talk about the deleted scenes. Um, some of them are really great. And then some of them are just like little tiny things that, you know, I mean, I'm glad they're on there, but they're not necessarily like don't do that much for me. Um, so why don't we start with the uh, you want to start with the caretaker village sequence, which I think is to me the best, the best that one. That is the best. That um, I wish this was in the movie. Like yeah. I think it would have fit. It, it would have been perfect. It's really fun. Uh, Mark Hamill is great. Like his his little laugh at the end when he's like <laughs> making fun of her, or whatever. You yeah. just ran so fast. Uh, <laughs> I think that's great. Um, and then the way like it kind of turns when like like he's he's goofy and he's laughing at her because he's like, okay, this was fun, right? Like you learned something here. And she's like really angry. Um, and the way like his kind of perspective on that changes is like fantastic. Um, the, the the caretakers and the uh, what are they called? The visitors, I think. The male. Yeah. Uh, that whole thing is so good. Um, I just, oh man, it's 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 so good in every way. Um, I, I really wish it was in the in the movie too. And I think it's like, I mean, the movie's long, you know, as it is, so I can understand why they're cutting things out. Um, Ryan Johnson says in, in the commentary because I watched all the deleted scenes and I went and watched them with the commentary as well. Mm -hmm. um, he basically says that like when they cut it out, the transition from like Luke and Ray's last interaction to their their you know kind of fight at the end of the octo sequence um it worked just as well so he's like well you know you can't justify leaving it in there if it works just as with the movie works just as well without it i don't think the movie does work as well without it personally i don't know where you what your take is on that but this is the one deleted scene where i watch it and i think the movie would be better with this in mm -hmm. um fundamentally it would be better it, it, it needed to be there yeah, I mean, it's so hard to say because this is like, you know, it's something that's new and, um, you know, it's obviously not part of the film. Um, like, I I like the scene because it's super entertaining. Um, it's like, it looks awesome. Like the part where she's like running is just an incredible shot. Um you know, I like it because it's giving some like lore um, on the caretakers, something, you know, that we we get from like the the visual dictionary and all of that. Um, and then also like it's like, a, again, just like super entertaining. I think it's like one of the funniest um, scenes. But there's also like I think there is a lot of there is a lesson in there and i think there is also um you know kind of i think what you were implying some character development for both of them where um they learned 
like Ray learned a lesson that, um, you know, Luke was trying to teach her, but I think Luke also learned about like who she is in like her very core um, as well. So yeah, I mean, I think I, I, I agree. Like I think the scene should be in there. Well, it's it, and it, it it's not only that like Luke learned a lo- about her. It's a totally a moment where like it's a reversal of like who the mentor and who the mentee are, you know, because he's on this island. He thinks he's doing what he needs to do. And we can see from uh, there's so much in this because we can see more clearly than any other part in the movie, I think where his motivation comes from in being on that island um, in, 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 in why he believes the Jedi are misguided. He tells her like, well, true Jedi would just sit there with his thumbs in his lap because he's not balanced. And, you know, you can't really like change the political landscape of Octo. So, you know, it's better to not do anything. And she's just like, no, I, I'm going to trust myself and do what's right. And she runs off and, and tries to save the day. Um, and, you know, he tells her like, hey, that's what the resistance needs. The resistance needs you. You know what I mean? So he's mm-hmm. trying to like teach her a lesson. And she turns around and tells him like, hey, guess what? Like, I don't care about your stupid lessons because our friends are dying. And you can see it in in his face in that moment. Like, oh, my God, you know, like I could be I'm I'm <laughs> I think I'm teaching you this lesson about like how the Jedi wouldn't act. And like it takes Ray like kind of sort of, you know, uh, figuratively slapping him in the face and saying, like, you are the Jedi right now, like being on this island and not doing anything is what you're doing and you're trying to convince me that the Jedi were wrong and like you know mm. like I actually know what needs to be done in this situation and you're the one who doesn't get it guy and then he does get it and I don't know if you have read about this or heard about this because I don't think you're reading the novelization but mm-hmm. in the novelization uh, of the film and I assume this comes from Ryan Johnson and comes from like an original version of the script or whatever I know he worked with Jason Fry in the novelization in, in the book after that moment Luke is like, Ray, you're right. I'm going back to, I'm going with you. I'm going to leave the island and I'm going to go with you because you're right and I'm wrong. And that's obviously not filmed and it's not part of this mm-hmm. deleted sequence. But like this moment is what shows Luke, okay, I got to leave Octo. I need to go back and, and join everything. Now then obviously he sees her having her make out sesh with Kylo Ren and like completely, you know, <laughs> like doesn't go with her. But all this stuff is just like, oh my god! I have this like long protracted note in here that I will not read <laughs> now. But, <laughs> but, but basically, it's like uh, I, I, I love the last Jedi. I love what Ryan Johnson did with Luke Skywalker, and I love the trajectory and arc of the character in the movie. But I've never sympathized more with the people that don't get it and don't like it than I did watching this deleted scene. Because to me, I'm seeing in this deleted scene an essential part of communicating what Luke thought and what Luke felt. And I feel like, you know, I didn't need this scene to like connect with it and get it. Mm -hmm. But there's obviously a lot of people out there that didn't connect with like what he was trying to do with Luke. And I think part of it for a certain demographic or a certain number of those people um, they just needed a little more. They needed their hand held a little more. They needed it like, I mean, that sounds condescending. I don't mean it that way, but they just needed to have those pieces put together a little more concretely in the movie. And I think that mm-hmm. this could have gone a long way toward doing that. Um, and it sucks. It really bums me out that like 
a lot of this like you know hashtag not my Luke Skywalker crap like you know for some people that wouldn't have been a thing I think you know maybe I'm going too far with it but I think that maybe would not have been a thing if this was left mm-hmm. in the movie because you get to hear him say like the Jedi misguided they wouldn't act you know we need you we don't need the Jedi and you get to hear her, you get to see her snap him out of it and it's just so oh my god I love it mm-hmm. so anyway yeah I, so uh, so this this scene is completely intact in the novelization. Yes. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yep. It's totally in there. And then, and then afterwards Luke is like, the, she's right. I got to go. Mm-hmm. Wow. So yeah. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and you know, one thing about that too, like, I guess I'm, this is probably really obvious and I should have figured this out a long time ago, but watching um, this bonus stuff on, on the last Jedi Blu-ray, um, I realized like how cool it is that, in the flashback sequence, Kylo Ren, you know, brings that hut down on Luke and like destroys that hut. And then like when Luke shows up and sees Ray and Kylo touching, like he destroys that hut. And like, I always thought like, Oh, it's kind of like a, I don't know. Like I like that part, but I was always like, that seems like a weird thing for him to do to just like rage, destroy the hut, you know? But it's like, there's that symmetry between like, you know, his apprentice, like Kylo Ren did that, you know what I mean? And then, and then Mm. Luke Skywalker does the exact same thing. Um, that's a cool moment. Uh, that uh, is sort of unrelated to this deleted scene, but I just <laughs> thought of it now. So, hey, yeah, that's cool. Got to get that content in there when we can, I guess, right? Oh uh, yeah. Um, okay, so two thumbs up for the caretaker village sequence, mm-hmm. though it's a little bit frustrating that it's not in there. Yeah. Um, other stuff. Um, I guess real quick with Luke, there is also that deleted scene where he's kind of crying in the in the in his like little apartment there on Octo after Ray shows up. I, I like that. Um I guess I can see that it's not necessary, but it's pretty good stuff. Yeah. Um you left some comments about the Fadier uh sequence there. Oh my god, the extended <laughs> Fadier <laughs> sequence. Um like you know I would have been totally cool with this uh being extended in the film. I know it's uh I know it's not a lot of people's favorites. Um but I uh I I like it a lot. I like that scene um the way it is in the film, but I also like this scene because it gives us more Canto Bite. It gives us more glimpses because they just like run through more places. So you get to see like the um, the massage parlor, which is, um, you know, there's a lot of uh, significant stuff in that in um, especially if you've read the book, um, there's like multiple characters from that book in that scene. Um, and so I like that a lot. Um, but it, it's also just like it's pretty absurdly long. <laughs> It's the pod race for Last yeah. Jedi. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I don't know if it's accurate to say you get to see more of uh, of of the scene when what you're seeing in that mas- massage parlor is that like naked, like like little pudgy thing, and like what is the deal with like his spine? Like it's it's <laughs> it, it, there's like a scar from like or I don't know if it's a scar or what it is, but like from the back of his neck all the way down to. Well, it just never ends. I mean, and it's uh, super. <laughs> it's <laughs> like a giant butt crack. Yeah, and it's like let's lay this guy down on his butt. belly and put the camera up, like right above him, <laughs> just so you get like a total bird's eye view <laughs> of this like extended butt crack thing. Like, not into that at all. Um, 
but uh yeah no it's it's cool stuff but like to mm-hmm. me you know and and you know, watching the commentary and stuff like hearing ryan johnson talk about like well this stuff is good but it's not essential to yeah. me like this is yeah i mean it's it, the scene is the same like whether you have three minutes of Fadier's running through Canto Bite or a minute and mm-hmm. a half of it, you're communicating the same thing. Um, so I think a sequence like this makes a lot more sense to cut versus like, you know, the caretaker one. But anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, this is yeah. like a classic deleted scene. Like <laughs> um, where you're like, oh, here's some, here's some Easter eggs. Here's some cool stuff. But yeah, like that's totally fine. It's not in the movie. Like I get to you know, enjoyed in this context and it's fine. Um, I, I almost forgot um, going back to director and the Jedi. Um, the, the Canto bite stuff in there is so good. Um, like I love seeing all like the behind the scenes on that. And um, also you get, uh, you get some, uh, some extra footage there. Um, you get some more of the Canto Bite patrons that are not shown um, in the film. Mm-hmm. And that made me very happy. Like the, like the guy who can't see where he's going and bumps into Mark Hamill. And then like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I loved you when I was a kid. <laughs> yeah. And, Mark and Mark's like, I'll help you get to where you need to be. Yeah. Oh, you know what else is vintage Mark Hamill from the director and the Jedi is when he's like backstage and just like, he like found like three or four crew people that he yeah. could just like start like <laughs> improving on. Like, uh, yeah. I'm just like, <laughs> It's like when he does his stage show at Celebration and he, you know, doesn't need a script or like anybody to interview him because he's like, oh, I could just talk. Like, I'll just tell yeah. you some stories. And he just <laughs> like found some dudes to do that with. Uh, that was pretty cool. Um, all right. Back to deleted scenes. Uh, there's the uh, Mega Destroyer incursion scene. Uh, I, I like most of this, but I think, again, like, you know, they're sneaking around. You know, they're afraid of getting caught. Like, I don't think a lengthier <laughs> version of that is necessary. How do you feel about the butt slap? Uh, I hate the whole thing. Tom Hardy is awful in that sequence. So um, I'm sure that they cut it because it was too long. But uh, and Ryan Johnson is too nice to say this in the commentary on this deleted scene. But you got to think part of it is like it just doesn't play. It's just awful. Like his his like weird Texas accent. Yeah, his butt slap. The joke. Even the writing is bad in that thing. Like it's not. I mean. I, I want to be clear. I think Tom Hardy sucks in that sequence, but like, I also think like it's not even well written. Like, it's just bad all across the board. Um, yeah, really. I, I like. I appreciate the intent of that sequence. Sure. Like, I think like the first part of it is legitimately intense, and um, I think like I think you could have done that sequence correctly. Um, mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, correctly, let me tell you how to make a Star Wars movie. But um, no, I think that's, um, that sequence could have been done um, in in a way that was more appealing and entertaining. Like to, I think you could have gone from that like intensity, the don't do this, like, you know, pulling out his blaster, um, like all that buildup. And then I think you could have like, landed a joke there um to you know for that exhale 
I just think the joke is bad and it is so long and he just keeps going and then there's the butt slap and <laughs> you're like, what even is this? <laughs> not my stormtrooper. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, it's not good. Uh, yeah. it, I think all you have to do is look at the, in my opinion anyways, the um, general hugs thing in the beginning of the movie. Yeah. It's similar kind of humor and stuff, but yeah. that's a version that works and this is a version mm-hmm. that doesn't work. So it's like, I'm glad they recognize that. And I think, sorry, in the, uh, in the deleted scenes, they talk about, or in the deleted scene commentary, he talks about it like, oh yeah, it was just like too long and we didn't need it and stuff. And it's like, yeah, but also it doesn't work. Like that's yeah. the elevator part just doesn't work. And I think that's, yeah. that's pretty evident. He almost doesn't need to say it in the commentary because it's so clear. Like it's just bad. Um, so anyway. Yeah, I do like um, getting... I think like the highlight of that um that whole section um the deleted part of it for me is just like seeing you get to see so many uh Benicio del Toro facial expressions <laughs> that are just like wonderful and like him just like adjusting his hat and like um yeah. you know I as we've talked about a lot like I absolutely love the character of dj and like i'm super fascinated by him um and like just see like because of like all the little quirks and um just getting to see like more of that um was really enjoyable but also again it's one of those things where like i can enjoy it in this context and it's totally fine it doesn't need to be in the movie like i get it yeah, totally. And, uh, you know, that just reminded me of like a conversation we had a couple episodes ago about DJ. Um, and I think you were advocating that you like him so much that you'd kind of like to see him come back, like in episode mm-hmm. nine or whatever. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously JJ can do what he wants and maybe he will bring DJ back. But um, Ryan makes it really clear in a couple different like behind the scenes things here on the on the home video release that the intention for DJ was to subvert our expectations about the smuggler with a heart of gold. Uh-huh. And like, in the end, the idea is like, no, 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 he's not going to fall into that trope or that like pattern, that archetype yeah. that the other smugglers with a heart of gold have. So, um, cause I really liked him and like, you know, him giving her back her, her necklace, um, mm-hmm. her, uh, Haitian smelt, uh, necklace or whatever. <laughs> like it, 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 it it goes so far to make you just like the guy. Plus, like I said too, like I can sort of identify with his take on society and stuff and like uh-huh. the machine of war and all that. So like, I like him. I almost like, I don't hate him even though he sold everybody out. Like I'm, yeah. I'm still just kind of like, yeah, I'm team DJ. So, um, but I think well, the idea is that we're supposed to be like, no, he, you know, he's just a bad guy in the end kind of thing. No, yeah and there's like there's that part where ryan johnson like corrects someone on set where he's like not a villain not the villain not the villain yeah not the villain yeah he said don't believe the internet <laughs> yeah <laughs> good Which advice is pretty, yeah it's pretty good yeah so yeah um other deleted scenes like we don't have to talk about all of them um i guess the uh the phasma squealed like a whoop hog scene is is pretty probably significant um what, what's your take on that one? i you know i like the way it turned out in the film better i do too like uh, owen my eight-year-old he's like oh that's better they should have had that in there i think it's a cool <laughs> moment but i don't think it like it it feels too much like um here's a loose end we need to tie up versus like here's a natural way to continue telling this story. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I don't like the, um, 
I just I don't like the way it looks when she does like those rapid shots. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels very like just quick cuts, music video um, kind of vibe that I just I don't think like fits and it like really like pulls you out of the gravitas of that scene. Well, and Finn's rebel scum moment is way better in the film yeah. version, like the actual mm-hmm. version. There's more emphasis on that. It doesn't play nearly as well in, in this version. Um, so there's that. Uh, I do think like, did you read the Phasma novel? Yeah. Yeah. Which I think we were both kind of have on in the end, like mm-hmm. not super in love with, but um, it works really well with that. Like if you're, you know, one of the people who's been reading like the, the, the novels and the comics and stuff, like, it, it really makes sense with like that version of the Phasma character. Yeah. Like she would be, you know, willing to just sell out. Like it's all, all about self-preservation and yeah, not about she dedication. Would totally take out her team. Like I'm sure that's happened in many points in her career. And there's a lot of people that are disappointed, like with, with Phasma and the way that she was developed between the two movies. I can kind of see that. I don't really agree, but I can see where they're coming from. And I think that this would have been, um, more satisfying to people because it would have like kind of given her character more of a conclusion. The way mm-hmm. it is in in the movie is more like the character of Phasma doesn't really matter. It's just about like Finn and and mm-hmm. and Rose and like you know moving the movie forward. And I th- I think like honestly that's who Phasma is as a character uh, as presented in these two movies. She's not important. She's there to further the the story of the characters we know. Um, mm-hmm. and she's not really developed. And, and I think that's usually presented as a negative thing. Like, well, they didn't develop Phasma. Like, not every character needs to be developed. And like some characters have that, that's their purpose in the story. Um, I get people like Gwendolyn Christie. I get the costume is cool. Mm-hmm. I get that people want yep. to like get more Phasma, but it, it doesn't really have a place. Um, kind of similar to Snoke, but anyway. Mm. Um, so yeah, I think, mm-hmm. I think they made the right call. It is a cool thing to go back and watch on the, yeah. on the deleted scenes though. So, mm-hmm. uh, other than that, um, I guess the only other one that I think is is uh, kind of significant and uh, we could talk about for just a second is the uh, Poe, not much of a sower uh, scene. <laughs> Which I read as not much of a sewer. I did too. Even after I'd already watched it once, I went back and looked <laughs> at it and I was like, Why? What? what is the deal with that? Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, it kind of shows that like he cares about Finn, obviously, very much. And uh Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think there's like a whole chunk of the internet that uh, would have uh, had some comments on that after seeing the movie if it was in there. So, yeah. Um, and it's funny, too, because I'm sure that scene was written before The Force Awakens came out and the internet was all like, oh, man, those two guys, they <laughs> are in love, um, which maybe they are. I don't know. But uh, yeah. but um, yeah, I don't think it was probably written to it may even have been taken out because of that whole phenomenon you know what i mean like well, that's it, really sad i think well i'm just saying like think about it this way like ryan johnson writes a scene it's meant to just be this natural thing and not meant to indicate like these dudes are totally like you know a couple and then all of a sudden the whole internet's like these guys are a couple if that's not the intention it's not a good idea to leave this well, in there and just like build that expectation even further i mean I get what you're saying. You like the idea that that is the <laughs> reality that they Yeah, are. and also like you can't contain this. 
Like, you get those two dudes on a camera together, and you're like, they are in love. Like, you just, you can't stop it. Like, it's just, it's just there. It's inherent. I see. In so they shoot together. The, the charisma and smoldering tension between John Boyega and Oscar Isaac is mm -hmm. a force of nature. Yeah. Uh, it can't be stopped. And so there's no point in trying to uh, resist. Um, Pretty much, like right, you can, well. you can just cut, you can cut every scene out until the end of time, and it's still going to be there. <laughs> that is a compelling argument. Uh, that's that's compelling. I guess my thought is just like, if it's not meant to be fan service, you don't want it to come across that way. I think is yeah. is, is is the idea. Um, so obviously, I'm I'm uh, I'm fine with whatever they decide to do with Poe and Finn. I would be happy mm -hmm. to see them uh, happy together, but I don't know if that's mm -hmm. the intention. So yeah um or if it or if that really like matters in the context of the story yeah yep yep, yep. um but i think it's i think it's i think it's there whether they choose to address it or not <laughs> i think it's just going to be there so well yeah is it a bromance or is it a romance you know what i mean um jury is the, out i think the so. yeah. well okay all right <laughs> the, jury the jury is, is not, not out in denver colorado <laughs> the jury has handed in its decision i guess yeah <laughs> that's cool um all right. Well, I think uh, probably since you haven't seen the commentary uh, or haven't watched that yet. Uh, one no one more scene, though. Um, oh. Yeah. The kind of weird you recorded that is <laughs> just like classic, amazing John Boyega delivery. Yeah. <laughs> um, just hilarious and wonderful. Like, I get why it, it doesn't need that scene doesn't need to be in there. Like, it's like, you know, he cares about ray mm -hmm. um that's uh yeah. well and it's kind of going to the well again with because then later in the movie um r2 projects the the leia thing mm -hmm. to luke on the falcon yeah. and it's a little bit of like oh well that's oh, a, yeah. a repetition of that same thing um so i think in, it's probably well, better in that sense like i do appreciate that symmetry yeah, but then it's but it's but yeah. what I'm saying is like I feel like it maybe takes away from the 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 impact of like yeah RTS. yeah you're just like yeah. it's like a surprise moment when he projects the Leia thing and yeah. it's like oh yeah I saw a, di a different droid do that 15 minutes ago um, maybe it would take away from that a little bit and then and in that case it's like there's there's not I don't think there's like really a dramatic or like symbolic symmetry there it's just like oh that's the same gimmick they did before you know what I mean. Versus, like mm -hmm. with Kylo, like Ky Kylo and Mark, for instance, in the in the in the hut exploding, like mm. there's some significance, like in terms of the storytelling there. Whereas in this case, it would just be like uh, another character sees a droid project something, you know. So, um, but I do like the sequence quite a bit, and I think uh, you're spot on with uh, with John Boyega. Like Finn is always fantastic, and mm -hmm. it's just nice to see him see that moment because it was such a nice moment when she like kind of kissed him on the head and. And all that mm -hmm. stuff. So to know that he kind of sees that, uh, yeah, it builds up the whole like the whole thing. Um, it, it doesn't really come across that much in the movie. I mean, Finn talks about Ray, like where's Ray, and all that stuff, and I love that. But at the same time, it doesn't really feel like those two characters are really like dying to get back to one another in the end. Mm -hmm. um, I think this would have made it feel a little more that way. But but Ray is just too. I mean, I don't know. Ray's a Jedi. She's she has too, her own thing going yeah. on. Yeah. She's too. She's too focused on the on the mission and 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 all that stuff to to, to kind of devote too much energy to the Finn thing. I think so. Um, wait, one more mm -hmm. scene. 
um, the alternate opening with mm. um, like the pan down. And this is like one that like we kind of knew about. Like I didn't know they actually shot it, um, but like I knew it was part of like the original script, like panning down to like like this like half circle and then it's you know it turns out it's the tank that um finn is in Mm -hmm. um i think that's like really interesting like artistically Mm -hmm. um and i think like i like the first line of the movie being ray Mm -hmm. um like i think that's cool but I don't know, but like there is like something that's kind of lost there, and I think um, I think the way that they the the final opening I think is ultimately like I'm glad they went the way they did. Yeah, I feel like if you were to watch Force Awakens to Last Jedi like back to back, it would be a more kind of natural way to connect those two movies because you know like in the end Ray leaves to go off on her mission and Finn is like laying there in, you know, in his like coma or whatever. And then to open it up with him being in his coma, being like, where's Ray like that. It just kind of connects them in a way and like a really great way. But, um, you know, I agree with what, um, Ryan Johnson, you know, kind of says about it in the, uh, in the commentary for the deleted scene, which is that like, he was really impressed with like the idea, like he was impressed with himself, um, like how clever it was, you know, Mm -hmm. but he was like, it just wasn't direct enough in like telling this story. Um, and it just needed to get right to the evacuation and the space battle and go from there. And I think that that's right. You know, it works better, like you said. Um, but, uh, but there is something cool about it. And I do like the, you know, Finn is, Finn is fantastic. And, in in uh, in this movie, he doesn't obviously get, I don't think he gets quite as much like emphasis and quite as much opportunity to shine as he did in the force awakens. So it's kind of nice for him to get like another moment there and stuff too. So, um, it would have been nice, but, uh, but I think, you know, it makes sense. And, and this is the kind of the, I think this is the thing that Ryan Johnson was freaking out about a little bit in that moment in the, yeah. in the Jedi, it's like, Oh my God, it doesn't work. Like the whole opening doesn't work. So, um, yeah, I think the the different version is better. Yeah. Um, uh, real quick, like I was saying, um, you haven't seen the commentary, and uh, we've we've probably talked enough for one episode about behind the scenes stuff from the uh, the Last Jedi. But there's just a couple quick things I want to mention on the commentary. Uh, maybe one or two things. Specifically, one of them I think you might appreciate probably more so than me too, which mm-hmm. is the fact that uh, in the scene when DJ is grabbing like like looting that ship and he grabs those coins, one of them is a Zork coin. Uh, like I think he calls it a Zork mid. Is that correct? This is from like, do, are you familiar with the Zork? It's like this like Infocom yeah. game from, okay. Yeah, the text adventure game. Yeah. You have been by a guru. Uh-huh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. So. They are super cool. Yeah. I don't know. Is a Zork mid though? Is that like the name of the coin or something? I don't know what that is. But. Yeah, that I don't know. Okay. But anyway, I think it's pretty, pretty great. Like if you didn't have enough reasons to love Ryan Johnson from watching this behind the scenes stuff, the fact that he was like, ah, Zork was really important to me growing up. So I brought my (laughs) Zork coin to set and I put it in there with the other coins. Like, I don't know, man. He's a real nerd in the best way. And uh, I'm pretty into that. So, um, another thing that's, uh, that's, that's pretty incredible too is, um, 
when he's talking about uh, one of my favorite moments in the movie, which is Laura Dern, you know, Carrie Fisher, uh, Leia saying, I can't take any more losses. And Holdo telling her, yes, you can. You taught me how to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Ryan Johnson talks about the fact that like it, that scene comes from him and uh, uh, Laura Dern and Carrie Fisher sitting down for an afternoon and just kind of like working it out and talking about like how it should go and stuff. Um, and Laura Dern wanting to communicate to Carrie and communicate in the movie, like too, just like what, how important Leia was to her um, mm. in her life and like how inspirational she was to her and all that stuff. So like, I think I'll always like from now on, I'll, that'll always be part of the way I see that moment and the way I watch that scene is like, you know, not only as Holdo telling like Leia, Hey, <laughs> you know, I can do this because of what I've learned from you. It's kind of like Laura Dern telling Carrie Fisher, like I can do this because of what I've learned from you. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like you kind of, so I think that's pretty fantastic. Um, yeah. and, uh, yeah, it's, it's good stuff. Um, and Ryan Johnson too, last thing. Um, <laughs> he got I bet he's so great. He he ends the commentary <laughs> just being like, I love you guys to the fans and like, you know, you guys are so great and like thank you so much and I love you guys. And it's like he's such a nice person. Yeah. Um, but then like <laughs> watching the commentary, like he he did it, he recorded it before the movie came out. <laughs> and I'm just like I'm hearing him end this commentary with like, Oh, the experience has been so great and the fans are wonderful and I love you fans. <laughs> and then like I'm thinking, God, in a couple weeks, man, this movie's <laughs> gonna come out and people are gonna be awful. Just so yeah. awful. Not the ones he's talking to there in that yeah. moment. Because you know, obviously a lot of us are very appreciative and thankful, but yeah some bad apples out there. Um, mm. And I'm not talking about the people that don't like the last Jedi. I'm talking about the people that uh, comment on every single thing he's ever written online with you ruined star Wars. Uh-huh. Um, so anyway, uh, but overall this, uh, this, this home video release is incredible. It's, it's close to, if not on par with the, uh, the prequel trilogy DVD releases from George Lucas, where he was mm-hmm. like, let's basically spend almost as much as we did on making the movies on making the behind the scenes stuff. (laughs) And like, you know, watching a attack of the clones DVD is like going to film school on how to do like every single part of making (laughs) a a big budget movie. Like I love that stuff. And so I don't think there's quite as much on here uh, because a lot of the other little featurettes are, they are pretty, pretty thin and Mm -hmm. they are definitely more in that EPK territory where it's like almost like promotional stuff Mm -hmm. um but the commentaries and the director and the jedi are not that way so you know i think it's it's a good balance and it's uh we've got quite a bit of great stuff here so um yeah Yeah, i'm i'm the i'm most happy with this uh home video release of all the disney star wars releases so far oh yeah i hope that this kind of uh sets the standard and I hope we get a complete package like this with um, episode nine and and with solo. Well, solo, there's probably not going to be as much. Uh, well, see, that's what I was gonna say with like with Rogue One too. It's like you, re- I mean, really with Rogue One and with and with Solo, I think it'll be the same. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's only uh, so much they're gonna reveal or like kind of yeah. let us see. Um, so <laughs> this I movie would... got made just be happy with that well you know we, we might get a commentary it. 
we might get a commentary from Ron Howard though. I bet we will. Um, and that's cool. Cause like, I don't think they were going to probably give Gareth the opportunity to do a commentary considering I think they only let him direct about half of the movie, um, which is a bummer, but you know, so there's, there's that, um, that's okay. Not half of the movie. I'm sure he directed the majority of it, but like the fact that in the end they kind of, maybe not fair to say took the movie away from him, but they were like, yeah, you don't have total creative control on this thing in the end. Um, I, I feel like it's less likely that he would be given the opportunity to do the commentary. Um, yeah. Whereas like Ron Howard, it's like, yeah, he's just, he's, uh, you know, Opie and uh, Richie Cunningham, like we'll let him come in and do a commentary, you know? Yeah. There's a, there's a whole lot of awkward. There's like a minefield of awkwardness that has to be addressed in like, but I, I guess Everything. I guess that you're right. But like I guess what I'm saying is like the face of the movie is is also the one who finished the movie, and like kind of like mainly did most of it. You know what I mean? Or like oh I don't know how much, but I I, I guess like it, it's ending in a in a more positive way. So it's like all the drama was like in the first half, and then like in the in the <laughs> yeah. I just I just feel like he can be a promo guy. You know what I mean? It's like uh, would you let you know, like, oh, we shouldn't get into wrestling here. But like, I feel like John Cena could do a commentary on any WrestleMania or any Monday Night Raw and they would just let him do it because he's a company guy who will like present it in a way that is going to be, you know, uh, it's going to work for the company. And I think Ron Howard's like that too. Versus like, you know, you get some some wrestlers here, Ryan, who are like... CM Punk. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to give CM Punk the opportunity to do the commentary track. Right. You know, but John Cena, sure. I think it's like one of those type of things. But anyway, uh, yeah, this uh, I hope that this uh, Last Jedi home video release kind of sets the bar uh, for uh, and kind of puts the pressure on JJ. Uh, not that he probably cares much about this sort of thing, but like yeah. with with episode nine, I would love it if he was like, oh, my God, well, you know, Ryan Johnson did a commentary on every deleted scene. He did a commentary on the whole movie. Um, he allowed this like behind the scenes access for this director in the Jedi documentary. Like I would love it if episode nine has a similar sort of wealth of bonus features. And, you know, a lot of it on, on the last Jedi is like Ryan Johnson, I think being enthusiastic and being willing to do this stuff. Um, mm-hmm. So it'd be nice if, uh, if JJ kind of um, gave us uh, as much great stuff on, on the next one too. So we'll see. But. Yeah, I mean, I would love to just like, you know, have some insight into like JJ's headspace with, um, you know, coming back to this, uh, closing out this trilogy that he, you know, helped launch. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like there's, you know, the, um, I feel like the director change and stuff um, with Colin Trevorrow and all that, like that that feels like ancient history yeah at this point and like and i don't think it will be top of mind it was like uh i i still like it's gonna be really hard to watch solo without thinking about like lord and miller because that's still just like so there (laughs) um whereas i feel like the the colin trevorrow stuff like that's whatever like um and i i feel like he could just you know, just own it. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's more, it's more 
it's probably more of a big deal than like the Markle, uh, Markle, <laughs> the Michael Arndt uh, exit on, yeah. on Force Awakens, but it feels more like that kind of thing. Like, yeah. ah, well, we were going in this direction initially, and then we changed. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously, I, for Colin Trevorrow, I think it feels more contentious than it did for Michael Arndt. Like, I think yeah. Michael Arndt was kind of like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to do this in the amount of time that you want. Right. So I think he was happy with kind of like laying the foundation and like letting those other guys take over. Uh, obviously, that's probably not the case for Colin Trevorrow, but at the end of the day, it's going to be like, yeah, early in production, we had one vision, then we changed it, you know, and yeah. I think that'll be fine. So, um, hey, real quick, Ryan, because you have the uh, 4K HDR TV and all that stuff, and you have the 4K mm-hmm. disc, and I don't, I don't have any of those things. So, um, can you just uh, comment on your your uh, your reaction to seeing this movie in 4K at home? Like, uh, is it a great looking disc? I mean, what do you think about that kind of stuff? So. Um... I mean, I I will say, like, I have a 4K TV, but it's not a good 4K TV. Um, oh, okay. It actually doesn't have HDR. Oh, OK. Um, so, yeah, like I watched a few scenes um, on the on the 4K disc on my uh, on my Xbox One X. And um, yeah, it looked great. Um, but uh, I feel like the person to ask on this would be kevin who does have a really really nice like super recent um 4k tv with uh hdr and all that Mm -hmm. um but i will i can kind of speak to the um the packaging um of the disc and like what's there is um i got the best buy exclusive steelbox um 4k version because um it was actually the only like spe- retailer special edition um for the 4K. the 4K yeah, yeah. so um even though i think like the target package is better um the target exclusive but that was just the blu-ray but um you know you get the the movie in 4K and then you get another disc with the movie on just regular blu-ray and then um then the bonus features are all on another disc that's just a blu-ray um which is fine they all look like really good and everything um but i was a little bit disappointed that like the literally the only content that's um on the on the 4k disc is it's just the movie there's not even like the trailers in 4k or anything it's literally just the movie yeah um but it, the, the trailers a... the trailers aren't even on the uh i don't think they're on the disc anywhere like or on the release anywhere which is kind of a bummer because i do like right. getting those yeah huh i haven't i guess i haven't poked around enough to find that um and i feel like uh with these disney blu-rays there's not as much of like the the easter eggs that were on the like prequel blue uh dvds i should say um i felt like there was a lot of stuff you could like click around and find and discover um on those but these are like pretty straightforward and like the content they present um i gotta tell you though i'm i'm uh like with the the star wars blu-ray like the original trilogy set or like not the original trilogy but the, the original saga set or whatever the six movie set i find it kind of annoying how you've got to like to get to features you want to see they're all like organized by planet and stuff it's like really weird like it's yeah. just like you can't just go to Return of the Jedi and say I want to watch all I want to see all the Return of the Jedi deleted scenes. It's like, well, here's the Tatooine deleted scenes, and then here's the Endor deleted scenes, and like yeah. go out to another menu and all. It's just too much. Like, 
just give me the stuff I want to see. I, I'm not into the like those minis are around. Oh, too. Yeah, it's not good. Yeah, yeah. Um, but um, well, sorry, oh, I, cut you I off. was just gonna say, um, there's like if you want like a good deep dive into um, like the 4K experience, um, there was it Polygon. I think Polygon did a, like a a write-up about like watching it on like a super good TV with like a sound system and stuff. And uh, like, I think the writers like, I can never, I can never not watch the last Jedi in 4k HDR now. <laughs> um, so apparently it's like really good if you have the setup for it. Uh, once you see star Wars, the last Jedi in 4k HDR something, that's the one. Okay. I will, uh, I will link to that in the show notes. Yeah. I will also link to a site called, uh, I think I mentioned it on the show before, but called the digital theater.com. Um, and they put up like lossless high quality versions of movie trailers. So if you're mm. the kind of guy who, or girl who wants to watch like a movie trailer in, you know, like lossless quality with like PCM audio and all that kind of stuff, you know, um, you can do that. Cause like I'll, I'll watch like a movie trailer on like YouTube or on my, you know, on the trailers app on the Apple TV. And it's like, you know, you get that whole thing where whenever the screen is dark, you see all the artifacting and yeah. it's just like low quality and stuff. So that's, that's the draw of having the trailers put like on the Blu-ray is like, Oh, they will be like full res and like, you know, not all that compression and stuff. So if you're into that kind of thing, there is uh this, uh, this site, the digital theater, which is really great. So you can check uh, those out, uh, that stuff out there. So, Nice. Um, I think I'm going to go with because I haven't actually gotten a physical version yet and I think I'm going to go with the Target uh, version um, and not the 4K one. Uh, my my initial thought was like, well, you know, might as well just buy the 4K one now because then you're future proofing and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. But uh, my my feelings on that are evolving because, you know, if I had a 4K TV now, like definitely obviously I would get the 4K one. But since I don't have one, the uh, the Target one comes with a uh, like a basically like a mini like art of the last shy book. And yeah. Uh, it's uh, Phil Showstack who put that together, who did the actual Art of the Last Jedi. And it's like, well, okay, like I've got a lot of that art, but it's got, I don't know, it's just a different layout and it looks really cool. And uh, the actual packaging for that version looks really cool. So I'm thinking I'll and, just get And that. the Porg featurette. Yeah, there's a Porg featurette on the Target. Yeah, which I would assume if I bought the 4K version from Target, it would have that too. But uh, maybe, um, I don't know. But, yeah, um, something I will uh, I will say, like if you are planning on getting that, um, you should probably get it sooner than later because those uh, those Target um, special editions do sell out. Um, oh, really? I, yeah, I had to I had to get my Rogue One Target special edition from uh, from eBay. Oh. Um, because like f like after like a week or two, you c I couldn't find them in stores near me so okay right. um, that is, and it that happens is... with some of the marvel movies too that they do special editions like i went the day of to get um to get their i think it was the thor special edition they had and um it was sold out um but mm -hmm. like i have the spider-man homecoming one and the wonder woman target exclusive and like they're they're great um but they do when they're gone they're gone they don't reprint them so. All right. Well, then, uh, yeah, I better I better do that, I guess. Yeah. Um, all right. Cool. Uh, well, I think that's going to wrap it up for us here this morning, Ryan. Mm -hmm. um, so uh, 
thanks for stopping by to talk about uh, these bonus features and uh, I guess for uh, kind of rushing through some of this stuff so you'd be ready to talk about it on the show. Mm. Um, I've been taking a leisurely two-week cruise through all these bonus features. And, yeah, uh, yeah I, ha- I just had to have the experience of having the discs. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. it goes back to that like wonderful time period where um, the prequel DVDs were coming out and at the same time the um, Lord of the Rings extended editions were coming out and I would just like sit on the couch like all day just watching special features and like flipping discs and all of that and uh, it's a it's a good vibe yeah and uh, yeah I wanted to experience all that this way and uh, it's cool yeah this yeah, is okay. like a heck of a package um, if you've got the restraint to hold out, then uh, that's the way to go. But uh, mm-hmm. like I've said, you know, I got the digital one. I'm going to go ahead and probably get this uh, Blu-ray from Target that doesn't have the 4K. Then I'll have to buy it again on 4K. Um, mm-hmm. I'm sure there'll be a uh, well a, a trilogy wrap-up version <laughs> in 2020, yeah. 2021. I'll have to get that as well. So yeah, uh, I mean the the Caretaker Village edition. <laughs> with uh, with that scene edited back in, yeah. but yeah, you they've got to they've got to be going back and like they're going to they've got to be going back to do all the movies in 4K at least Force Awakens, oh, like because yeah. that would be weird if like eight and I must I'm assuming nine will have 4K releases like they got to go back and at least do. I think Disney just wasn't doing that until recently. So, you know, yeah. if that was like company policy when Force Awakens came out, then it probably would have gotten that release. But mm-hmm. um, but I think since it is kind of like become, it's become company policy or whatever you want to say, mm-hmm. um, that'll be the case. So uh, going forward. But yeah. um, but anyway, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll wrap it up here. Uh, until next time, you can find us online at theblockaderunnerpodcast.com. If you're not subscribed to the show on iTunes, uh, or YouTube, or your favorite, uh, you know, podcast app. Then uh, please uh, subscribe, um, and uh, it would be great if you would leave a review for the show too on iTunes. I think we're sitting at a big whopping uh, two reviews after mm-hmm. two and a half years or something like that. The reviews mm-hmm. are not coming in um, fast or intense, and uh, <laughs> that would be great to get a couple more reviews uh, up in iTunes. So um, would appreciate. Um, but yeah, uh, you can email us at blockaderunnerpodcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at Blockade Run. Ryan, you're on Twitter at Braundorf, B-R-A-W-N-D-W-A-R-F. Uh, Instagram at the Blockade Run. And uh, oh, we have t-shirts now too. There oh, you go. That's yeah. another thing I almost forgot. We have t-shirts. Um, so for now, it's just our basic Blockade Runner uh, logo kind of design or whatever. Um, but, uh, I, uh, I ordered a, uh, what do you call it? Like a proof t-shirt and, mm-hmm. uh, it looks good. It's, uh, it looks good. It's really nice. And, um, the way we set the store up is, uh, through Threadless and I will, I'll put the link in the show notes, of course. Um, but, uh, we're able to sell the shirts for as cheaply as possible. Um, cause you can choose to sort of get like a little kickback for the podcast, or you can choose to just sell it like totally at, at our cost or whatever you want to say. So we've got them dialed down to be, um, as inexpensive as possible. So t-shirts are starting at 10 bucks on threadless.com, depending on what kind you want. So t-shirts, hoodies, all that good stuff. Um, so if you've ever found yourself thinking, I would love to sport a blockade runner t-shirt, <laughs> 
um, we'll put a, a link in the show notes for that too. So nice. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, we will see you next time. Thanks very much. And uh, may the force be with you.